0: he's raving about this woman who who inherited money from the Dixie Cup company and put out these yeah. and I listened to him I bought a couple of doors they're horrible yeah. they're horrible records
1: Hello and welcome to episode four of the Who Cares Anyway podcast. My guest on this episode is Mark Prendel from MarkPrendel.com. Now, a little backstory. I first encountered Mark Prindle's writing in the late 90s as I was uh, getting acquainted with this new-fangled invention called the Internet. At the time, I was a student at UNC Chapel Hill in North Carolina and a DJ at WXYC, the student-run radio station there on campus. What I did not realize, as I was sitting there reading Mark Prendel's reviews in one of the computer labs on campus, was that Mark Prendel himself had been a UNC student and WXYC DJ. And as I gradually learned over the years, he was friends with, or at least contemporary with, the same people who first introduced me to things like Neil Hamburger and Carolina and Secret Chiefs and Amarillo Records when I was at XYC in the late 90s. So both directly and indirectly. Uh, Mark Prendel has been an influential figure. So when it came time to seek out uh, endorsement blurbs for the book, he was the uh, very first person I reached out to. And I figured if he were so inclined, it would only be uh, fitting to get a quote from Mark Prendel. And he certainly came through in his unique, dare I say, inimitable style. So thank you very much to Mark Prendel for that. Now, this interview that you're about to hear in a somewhat edited form was actually the first one I conducted for this podcast series, but it turns out that because it was the first one, I really didn't know what I was doing in terms of being an interview host, at least in an audio format, and long story short, I just talked way, way too much, and I guess I was excited to talk to Mark Prendel after all these years, but I just talked way too much, and before I knew it, the time was up. So I thought, how can I make the best of this situation? And I started splicing in some little audio clips, and one thing led to another. And this episode wound up turning into, well, it's still an interview, but it's also something of a montage and an homage to that little slice of time in the late 90s when sort of pre-internet underground culture was coming online and people like me were discovering things as these new doors were being opened by the internet And at the same time, although we couldn't realize it at the time, this world that we had grown up in was gradually beginning to sort of fade into the past. With all that said, I'll get out of the way and let us proceed with the interview slash montage slash whatever you want to call it with the one and only Mark Prendel. I was looking uh I was like when did he, when did he start his website and then I realized it's right there at the top 1996. Yeah. 1996 to 2011. And then I actually in uh I, I came across the Alt Music Chapel Hill uh archive and, and oh, I was on that. There. Yeah, and I I think that you had a different it must have had a different handle but the one post that I saw you pasted the link to the website and at, you were asking for reader comments, but it was before it was markprindle.com. So it was like
0: Geocities.com backslash da da backslash yeah. da da <laughs> Exactly.
1: But that's what the Amarillo website was too. You know, the Amarillo website. They all was. were back yeah, they then. were
0: It was really a different era. You know, you had a backslash da da backslash da da. I think it was like Geoc- uh Sunset Sunset Strip oh.
1: at the time. I mean, it was almost like you know, what is this kooky uh, internet stuff? I mean, this, uh, I would kind of make jokes about it. It It's like for computer nerds, but uh, what what were you thinking when you started it? Did you have the idea that you were going to be doing full artist uh, catalog? Yeah, it started.
0: Yeah, it started because I, like I said, I moved up to, um, you know, I've always been really, really, really interested in rock music and weird, you know, strange music. Anyway, I moved up uh, with my brother. We were living together at the time. He was a website developer for work. And he said, if you could write a book about anything, what would you write about? And I said, I would review all the albums in my collection. And he said, you could do that with a website. And I said, I have no idea what that is. And he, so he, put, he explained it to me and he put together, and I think it was probably even his idea to take reader comments. I don't remember for okay. sure, but um, so... So that's nice. I, I was, so it started off with me doing the writing and he would post the stuff and then he showed me how to just cut and paste the different HTML things. And so I started doing it myself. And I did from the beginning plan it to be the full uh, discography. Okay. I didn't like I, I didn't like reading in like Rolling Stone magazine. Someone would say terrible things about an album and you'd go, well, this doesn't mean anything to me because I don't know what their taste is. I don't know what they thought of the last album. You know, or DC's Ballbreaker came out and it got all these really positive reviews. And I think the album sucks. Uh, I really like ACDC, but that album is a shitty album. So it just made me wonder, like, why? Why would they give it the five out of five had they heard the other albums? So I really wanted a place where people could read about every album by one band and, you know, get a sense for what my taste was to see if they might like the stuff I'm recommending. Um And I think we probably did like, Maybe twelve bands before we maybe maybe sixteen bands before we posted it, but we didn't just put it up with like one band.
1: Okay, I was I remember curious. that. Yeah, okay, ACDC was
0: the first band I did.
1: That was it's gonna be one a, of my questions. Yeah,
0: yeah, but then years, you know, years would pass, and at some point, I was rev- I was reviewing bootlegs, and some crazy guy sent me about twenty ACDC bootlegs. So now there's a ton of ACDC bootlegs uh reviewed on that page, and I don't know. The whole thing just got ridiculous because with my OCD making me review an album every single day and then my OCD made me review every EP and every live album and every and and then for a while bootlegs so it's just a a mess of stuff you know written at different times so you'll get like ACDC you'll go through and every when I first started the website I just would write about every album I listened to I would just you know on paper this is before I was typing them in I would write on paper so I didn't write that much so ACDC is like you know album paragraph album paragraph album, paragraph album, paragraph and now between all those you get like bootleg six paragraphs bootleg six paragraphs it's like so it looks ridiculous and i, I realize i'm rambling but i just wanted to point out that uh that the other reviews are very good but you know
1: oh, oh no i mean it, i mean i can barely i mean i have some c- collections of things or you know clips of things but thankfully a lot of stuff i wrote you know was not
0: you know <laughs> the, like for the spectator weekly you know they they <laughs> in here in raleigh oh, and yeah uh, a friend of mine somehow found online i don't know how he did this he found online a an article i wrote for the daily tarheel or the diversions section of the daily tarheel about some play like a version of of a shakespeare play or something that i have no recollection at all of writing. He sent it to me and I read it and I was like, it sounds like I don't give a shit. Why did I do this? And he said, that's what I liked about it. It sounds like you had no interest in doing the article. So I guess it was something I was told to write. So I did, but I, it's out there somewhere. So presumably the record reviews I wrote in college are out there somewhere too. Look, I don't want to be filming this and you don't want to be watching this. So let's just get this shit over with. I'm Mark Frindo, and today we're talking about dynamic Denton, Denton, Texas
1: mark uh, my Because I was going to ask what the first one was, because I didn't know uh, if you'd started with like one. Uh, uh, one
0: yeah, word, so I but, don't uh... I don't remember what the other first ones were, but I probably picked I probably started with my favorite band. So it was probably ACBC, the Ramones, the stuff I knew really well, like Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd, because i listened to it so much in middle school and high school. Um, but yeah. I, Rolling Stones, probably, Beatles, you know, the easy stuff. I
1: mean, that's not, like, not, not easy. To, I mean, there's a lot of it, but uh, I have a not clear memory, but I, in being, I have a memory of being in the computer lab at Venable Hall, the chemistry building, because mm-hmm. that's where I had to go to the computer lab to, to go on the internet, because I certainly didn't have a computer in my dorm. Right.
0: Room. Yeah.
1: But uh, reading, about, I think about the Melvins, Uh oh. that probably been 97, but I, I didn't make the connection. Maybe at some point I came across that you had been at WXYC, but here there I am on the in the computer lab there reading, reading these reviews, and so I had no I didn't, didn't connect that you were you know X Y C or that we knew a lot of the same people that I had um, you know people like Franz and uh, eventually you know I, I would you know I read your Thinking Fellers uh, review and you mentioned I was going to ask you to tell it, but it, you can't tell it any better than uh, the way it's written where oh you know, yeah no that was it,
0: great I'll go ahead I can tell you that though. <laughs> Yeah, Franz, Franz was like just always beyond cool in terms of music. He was always listening to the stuff that was out there, stuff I'd never heard of. Um, I don't know. Anyway, so we were at the Sneaking Fellows Show, and they played this song, and it was great. It was like this this uh, like spaghetti Western music, and it was just amazing, and it was so good. And it got to the end, and I was like, wow, what was that? And Franz looked back and said, oh, that was what was it it was something by it was Marconi, like a yeah f- it was Morconi Fistful of Dollars
1: or something yeah Fistful
0: of Dollars and he was like and i was like oh okay and then like a few songs later they played I Dig a Pony by the Beatles and it got to the end and he was like what was that <laughs> <laughs> it was the Beatles so I finally for once I felt like yay <laughs> I knew something the frogs did We played in a band for a very short period of time. Together. No, no, oh, it was it didn't work out because I was I was basically because I was too goofy. I was a band called Lima. It was me and this drummer named Dan Radloff, who was really into amrap and I was really into Amrap too. But we didn't really have any clue what we were doing. I would just write songs, and anyway, so Franz was in the band for a very short period of time, but. We did a show where I was just, I used to be, I'm goofy, but I used to be really goofy. So I did this show and I was super goofy, dressed up stupid and everything. And I wasn't really paying attention to the band. And so Franz got mad and he was like, look, I'm not doing another show. He was the bass player. I was a guitarist. And he's like, I'm not doing another show like that. And, but then we got the opportunity to play the Catch Cradle. I'm like, wow, the Catch Cradle. Oh my God, we're going to play the Catch Cradle. And then I think Dan said, why don't we just do it Improv. I said, well, we never practice. We don't, we, how are we going to improv if we never practice? He was like, and Franz was like, I would do that. Yeah, let's just do that. So he we just went to the cradle with no song. He just played like shit for half an hour. And they threw it off. That was the last time we ever played. But yeah, so I'm sure Franz has blocked it out of his memory. Probably not a good time, but he was an interesting guy for sure.
1: Yeah, i used to hang out at they there was a, a record store called roots over right uh in, in carborough that he was he worked at but it was like they never really had they wouldn't get stuff that you really wanted they would always get stuff that was like remaindered or cut out uh oh, but i would yeah. hang out there and we would we would uh i would kind of just pester him and uh i was writing a lot of reviews and he was the music director and so i was kind of like i didn't have a title but i was kind of like an assistant to uh-huh. him and so we would debate or talk about stuff and and I remember I was griping about all the like the alt country being just kind of like just the sometimes the put on that some of these groups would they, they would make it sound like you know they grew up on the farm or something and instead yeah. you know or or like it's so hard and and uh the zip code review did a great like you know kind of parody of that with that doctors are spreading disease or, or um but anyway <laughs> I, and i and i was complaining to, to franz about about all, all this you know this the subject matter of their song of the song i do i'm not even sure what band I, just some vague idea and he said well what else, what do you want him to sing about can you imagine a country song about a country song about email how bad that would be <laughs> or something and that just stuck in my mind if we that's the kind of stuff we would talk about
0: there's rumors floating around bad faith all over town and liars and lawyers everywhere they snored out pollution instead of seeking Justice is getting so hard to bear. Doctors are spread in disease. How much blood can you squeeze?
1: But that was that was definitely like formative. Just 2 years at XYZ, but I you know, I learned a lot and I'm you know like conscious of the fact that I was irritating as hell as most of us were, I think yeah. uh, in college uh, oh, with yeah. all of our strong, you know, not, it's not just your taste in music, but uh, at least, you know, like
0: how your, your much sense of, you yeah. felt. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You it, 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 I remember, I remember getting so upset all the time about the shit they play on the radio when there's so much good music. I like, like why can't the thinking fellas be on the radio? They should be the millionaires. It shouldn't be this crap. this you two, And all this crap. I felt so strongly about it, about music. Um, But I was actually, uh, I I will give myself credit for this and my group of friends. We were all thrilled and very excited and proud when Nirvana made it big. Like each week we were watching the album go up the charts more and more and we couldn't believe it. And I remember one night, Tim Ross came out and said to us at dinner, uh, Nevermind is number one. And we are like, holy shit! One of our bands is on top of the chart. So that was that was very exciting because we, you know, we we all like Bleach, and when this came out, we kind of just didn't expect, we didn't expect this. And then it it got on MTV, and it, I don't know. And we all knew that it was like mixed different, but it was still it was one of our bands, you know. And it felt like after that, it felt like anything could happen. We thought pavement could be huge. We thought, first, mud honey could be huge. Of course, none of that happened, but. It was the Instead, song. we got Bush and uh, Creed. Well, that was later. Yeah. It was weird because when I was in high school, I started listening to the grunge show on my local station. And it was music that in your head, you think of as grungy, dirty, like early Mudhoney and early Nirvana and, you know, Tad and and then the AMRAP stuff, like the cows and helmet and all this stuff. It's just like grungy and dirty sounding. And then... Pearl Jam came out, and suddenly grunge meant something totally different. So yeah, that was, yeah, grunge, the meaning of grunge just changed dramatically because Nevermind was so slick, and then Pearl Jam, and then Soundgarden was playing like heavy metal, so it just heavy, I don't know. At any rate, I guess what I called grunge at the time is now called noise rock, I think. It changes all the time, but I think so.
1: I didn't start at unc until 1995 august of 95 and i didn't start at this radio station until my junior year i oh. think i think you were already out of chapel hill by the time i yeah. started
0: yeah i left uh at the beginning of 96 january 96 i left uh okay so we were on we were we were a so you were four and a half year well let me see i know i um i graduated in three and a half years so i stopped doing my last show on XYC was probably December 94. And then I stuck around in town for a year, uh, t- hanging out with my girlfriend and just working crap jobs until I could con- convince my brother to move to New York with me. So that's when I finally moved up in January 96. But my years, basically my years on XYC were the end of 91 through the end of 94.
1: And then your years in Chapel Hill, were they 91 to 95? 91 to, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there was definitely overlap.
0: We were probably at some of the same shows near the end, near my end. And near,
1: you know, Maybe. Yeah. Well, I was, I was pretty clueless with certain things and, you know, in terms of like local, I didn't, I really missed the, uh, the glory days of when Chapel Hill was briefly considered the next Seattle, if it ever was, you know, that kind yeah. of stuff. <laughs> yeah. With X Y C, did you, did you always just do, do a regular show or did you do specialty shows there?
0: Uh, I did a record uh, a regular show and I also helped out uh, on the show called Into the Ground. Did you ever hear of Into the Ground? It was kind of a it was a take sort of not a takeoff but it was along the similar lines of negative lines over right, the yeah. edge. So we took over the edge into the ground. Um, I joined uh, I think they they started that show during a summer when I was at home in Georgia but when I came back Uh, they introduced me to it and let me join. So I was in the background on that show doing a bunch of sound effects and recording stuff on tape and playing it back and things. And I did a couple of uh, shows, like one-time show. I don't know if they, it was like once a week, they would have like a three-hour slot where someone could, I don't remember what it was called, but it was once a week, there's a three-hour slot, like maybe Wednesdays from eight to 11 or something. Where people did what's a special thing, like I did one about the Ramones, and one time I did one where I pretended that XYC had been turned into a classic rock station. So I played just classic rock crap and I had all these fake commercials for it saying things like, oh, oh I changed the name of the station to Power 89. And it says stuff, uh like I had all repeat Tuesdays. If you hear anything that's not Pink Floyd Led Zeppelin or the Eagles will give you ten thousand dollars <laughs> crap like that um people would call in with their classic rock requests and it was that was pretty funny it was terrible because I would sneak I also you know you have to play the stuff that's in rotation so I kept doing that I would I would throw like this African thing into the middle of uh Steely Dan and the cars and uh Supertramp. And I just pretend like it was classic rock. I don't know. It was it was pretty fun.
1: I thought you got an exemption during those uh those shows. That might have been the Thursday night feature if that's that was it. Thursday uh, night feature.
0: Hindsight. Oh wait, you know what? No, I'm sorry. I don't think I did that as a Thursday night feature. I think I just uh, did my show is that. That's why uh, I kept playing the rotation uh, <laughs> so I wouldn't get in trouble. The wrongs was a Thursday night feature though, for sure.
1: Okay. Yeah. There was one time right at the very end before I moved away, I was going to do one on Amarillo Records, but it was double booked. And uh, oddly enough, the other uh, person who was doing the show that night uh, was Dan Partridge from... uh,
0: Oh yeah. Pine State.
1: Pine State. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Ah. you were at that show at the duke coffee house that was zip code rapist and uh u.s yeah. saucer and pine yes. state
0: mm-hmm. yeah that was great um you know i knew greg turkington i knew the name from zip code rapists and at the time my girlfriend who then later became my wife and then became my ex-wife um i uh She lived with Charlie Spate, and I'm pretty sure that day I walked into their house and I saw Greg Turkin sitting on their couch. That was before I knew him, before I would met him, but I'm pretty sure. So I think he was hanging out with Charlie Spate before that show for a long time. But that's not the point. The point is that um, zip code rapists were hilarious, were hilarious. I actually later got to sing a song on stage with them. Um, many years later during one of their reunions like Uh, maybe maybe five eight years ago something like that um i got to go up on stage and sing wake me up before you go go (laughs) it was great it was very fun
1: their music actually you were aware of their music through uh, the radio,
0: the radio station? station okay yeah and also um i knew neil hamburger because of the, the great well you know what um working on that show into the ground they made up a bunch of carts where they could put in voices to make it sound like there were a lot of people in the studio and one of the ones they used was no 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 neil hamburger
1: no 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 no
0: so that was where I first heard of him from working on that show. And then they told me, oh, it's from this Prank Phone Calls album. And so I, I learned about Neil Hamburger from that. And I just can't, I got to tell you, it was a prank phone call. That was it. I mean, and then later a single came out and I was like, oh my God, he put out a single. This is great. And Neil Hamburger single. Yeah. yeah, I went to see my shrink the other day. I said, Doc, what can I do? My career is miserable. He says, Neil, what you got to do is pay your bills. Until you pay me what you owe me, I can't help you with any further psychiatric treatment. Hmm. funny man. But things aren't just crazy for me. Things are crazy everywhere. And uh, not just here in Fort Lauderdale, either. Do we have any uh, locals in the audience? So to watch it go from that to an actual, basically a career, was pretty amazing. And he
1: just got funnier and funnier and funnier. <clears throat> yeah, Dan, Dan actually brought the CD, uh, the first Dra- Drag City CD, and it was the uh, sight gag bit, the Naked Hot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was doing my show, and he was just in the station, and he brought that up. And I was just kind of wondering, what is this?
0: Who don't I guess get not that there's much to get, but people who don't think the zip code rapists are funny think that they're missing something. They're like, I just, I just don't get it. I don't it just you either think it's funny or you don't. That's basically it. It's not some deep concept behind the zip code rapist. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Did you um come across that Matador Records thing when it came out?
0: Yes, yes, yes. Um, and another that was great, that was wonderful because at the time I loved, absolutely loved, and still do actually love pavement, pavement and the thinking Fellers. Um, I now like that Liz Fair album. It took many, many years for me to finally like it. But yeah, I I just Uh, i i think i was introduced to the zip code rapist by my friend jeff robbins who worked on into the ground i went to i was um when i came up for my junior year a friend of mine had gotten us an apartment but it wasn't ready for us yet so jeff let me stay at his house for a few days and i saw that album the first zip code rapist album and i was like what the hell is that and he so he introduced me to it and then from there i yeah, that that single came, and then later the uh, nine four one two four EP came out. And uh, boy, the funniest though was when I I don't know I know I ordered them from him from Greg. I ordered those the the follow up bands records, and I got that Three Doctors one right. with that with that insert explaining yeah. the story of how they broke up. Oh, I was laughing and like tears were in my eyes laughing at that. It was so funny. Greg was talking about all of Greg's comments were, yeah, he's just doing it for the money. We're doing, we're doing, of love the music. You know, we're going to move forward and do new things. And then the album was just a bunch of shitty covers. I saw in your book that quote from Greg, which I'd never heard about how he asked, was it the drummer of Flipper? He asked, or no no the guitarist of Flipper. He asked, Should I do heroin? Right?
1: Something like that? Yeah, I think he he asked something about that. And yeah, Bruce told me that.
0: Greg actually asked me, I mean, he just came up to me in a way with some turning and he said, Is it worth try try even trying drugs, Bruce? And I said no. I just went, No, don't do it. Forget it. Greg got into it. Greg got into this scene when he was so young
1: yeah it's it's a, um I mean think about I mean when I was 16 I mean I could list so much embarrassing stuff I did you know pretty much everything I did <laughs> pretty, pretty much all the music I listened to was pretty you know pretty pretty bad but you know yeah because you know he moved up there in like 83 he's still in high school and, and you know he's interning at subterranean while he's going to high school sort of the one
0: thing i don't know is i know he was he's from arizona originally right yeah um did he move did he like leave home or did his his family move
1: i think his parents were his parents were already uh separated and his dad was living in san francisco so he oh that's why they all ended up
0: working for that uh eventually the chemical company right chemical
1: company although (laughs) that that um and it does get named but uh, i think enough time has passed at this point there was in the past where he didn't want it to be named but it was like you could figure out the name but uh yeah no i i was i was able to interview you know uh margaret john singer brandon uh the so the the kind of the whole uh, almost the whole crew there and uh i think it's safe to say that the only other thing on the internet would have been uh what what you had there from uh with Brandon as far as the no. you know, the hashtag lore. I mean but uh you know <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. these these stories and I would get way too excited about stuff like hearing about they, their you know yeah. playing darts and listening to ride a rock horse.
0: Yeah. Did, have you seen the book they they had this book, a notebook with a bunch of cartoons and things they would drawn and written that they let me borrow once. It was uh, it was just a bunch of stuff like uh, who is the who is the guy from Wings that died while he was sitting in his chair? It was all this stuff about poor, whatever this guy's name was, poor Jimmy McCullough or whoever it was, poor Jimmy McCullough dead in his chair. There'd be a picture there. Yeah, I heard a I heard a lot of stories. The only problem is it was like 20 years ago, so I don't remember any of them. I never Brandon used to live in the Bronx okay. while I was living in Manhattan so when Greg would visit that's how I met Brandon through oh, Greg okay. Greg visited but when, whenever I was with them they would just I would ask questions and they would just regale me with hilarious stories. and uh I remember you know have you heard this I'm sure you've heard this I don't even know what I'm asking but the the yellow river boys okay yeah. that's uh it's basically a bunch of sto- a bunch of classic rock songs about piss clubs. Right. <laughs> clubs where people go and piss all over each other and that's something like I remember back when when I was first hanging out with these guys they would talk about yeah in San Francisco back in the 80s they would have piss clubs where you put you know plastic wrap all over the floor they just pee on each other and I was like you're just you're lying you're making this up but uh, apparently they've <laughs> continued telling the stories because they made a whole. Greg made a whole album of songs about it with uh, Tim Heidecker. Okay, Heide. I didn't know. I,
1: you know, here, here's me. I didn't even know Greg was involved in that. I thought that was just a Tim Heidecker thing.
0: Oh no, he wrote Greg, and he um, wrote all the songs together. Oh. Greg, Greg sings one of the songs, uh, but it's, it's very funny. You should hear. It. But it just like these stories. I still don't know if there was such thing as Pittsburgh, but they're sure acting like there was. Yeah, even if there's nobody around, to appreciate it.
1: Oh, yeah. Shit on the i don't know what what kind of digging is involved in finding that like mm-hmm. if that's the diamond in the rough what else what is the rough but, yeah, you know, having access to these you things... You could just go or, to YouTube. You could was... just go to YouTube. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, if you know, if you knew somebody who had this stuff, that's one thing. But then if, if there were somebody who actually had, like, firsthand, you know, they have, you know, they know the people who are making these tapes, or they, you know, they they know how to get these, trading these tapes, and it's just kind of mythical stuff. And it always seemed like Greg, you know, in particular, would, would have, like, whether it's vanity pressings or yes. uh, song poem stuff,
0: and uh, they're just... Right. Very, that's right. Humble Where I music. heard of all that stuff it was all through Greg all the oh do you, like just you know when I was getting into quote weird music it's was like oh are you familiar with industrial musicals and I was like no I don't know what industrial musicals are so he introduced oh, me today. to those and today Denton is out ahead of us from 1967 the unusual city of its size in the nation they, yes, they, city they want you to but move to Denton Texas what? they oh. need you there How about song poems? Tell me about song poems. <laughs> you better hold on to that love. Hold on to that love. You better hold on to that love. Cause the world is a jungle. You better hold on. Yeah, so, to and, that and love. he introduced me to those records. I have several of them, those awful. Sex records where it just all sounds violent, and it's just people like, I'm gonna fuck you dog style, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> These Audio Stag, I think, was the label. Audio Stag. Uh, okay, well, it was good to see you today, and please. Oh, wait, I also have The Lustful Sex Life of a Perverted Nympho Housewife. How did this get in my collection? This is unbelievable. Okay, let's see if there's anything really enjoyable on here. Hey,
1: what about the cheeks of my ass? Oh, yeah. Hey, honey. Oh, that's great. Now, now lick my sweaty balls. Oh.
0: Sorry, I was able to keep a straight face the entire time until that one. Like, the sound of a bed squeaking, they, it sounds like they're making it by, by taking a table, a metal table, and just scraping the legs on the ground. So it's just like <laughs> Hi, I'm Mark Prendel from the Mark Prendel Institute of Technology, and today, uh, you know, you know, I love—I'm—I um, really love symphony music. So I thought I'd buy uh, this one, "Erotica" by the Bedspring Symphony. Let's give it a listen. Hear the bassoon? That, he introduced me to that. He introduced me to that. I think it was stuff, but on the same label. Uh, There was one about everything you you needed, everything you ever wanted to know about, and then a band or everything you wanted, but I can't remember what the band was because it was so long ago, but there were a couple of them, and the record label owner was paying the writers by the word, so they just wrote as much as they could, so if you listen to it, it's just somebody talking as fast as they can. So okay. it's just like it's like everything you ever wanted to know about the partridge family, whoever it was, and then you listen to it, and it's just someone going. The party's rented. We were formed in 1968. 1968 uh-huh. was the for you know, well. they were breezy, funny, articulate. Their press conferences were entertaining. Big news, and everyone came. Terry wants desperately to feel that his press conferences—the one in which Grand Funk finally consented to meet the press after two years and told the world it intended to fill Shea Stadium, like the Beatles said—for like it would 40 be minutes. Uh, again, just I, you know, he got me. I mean, I, I had heard, I had heard samples from the flight. F-I-N-A-L record, you know that one? Here, listen. This is the beginning. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Paul Evangel speaking to you from the Terminal of Life near the Gate of Death, where along with many others, we will shortly be boarding the Interworld Airlines flight, F-I-N-A-L, for the New Jerusalem. This is the very first time that anyone in broadcasting has been given the authority to actually witness and describe the flight of a departed soul and relay the information so that you can hear, experience, and prepare yourself for this heavenly journey.
1: was that an inspiration for the Golding
0: Institute? No, but the Golding Institute is genius. You know, it is not impossible to be in a slumber so deep you will never wake up. A slumber so comfortable. You will never tell anyone about it. A sleep so deep that it could only take place in a graveyard or an urn.
1: Do you have any issues of uh, breakfast without meat?
0: He let me read them. Uh, he okay. lent them to me a long time ago, yeah.
1: Okay, yeah, because I, I would I would go through the charts and those, and, and even when I would go back to them like five years later, I'd realize, oh, that was in there too, and I'd, wow. I'd seen it. Or uh, some other record that he would put out, I would see, oh, he did that, and that connects back to this thing. Look, I'm not bigoted. Yes, you are. You can be a bigot from all sides. You can be a bigot against people, or uh, you can be a bigot against comedy. You know, I think what I'm doing up here is comedy, and uh, and I think it should be heard.
0: You can be a bigot from all sides. You can be a bigot against blacks. You can be a bigot against music. You know, I think what we're doing up here is, is music. I think it should be heard. I don't know. I, I met him, uh, after, I guess, shortly after, uh, or started conversing with him shortly after the second New Hamburger album came out. So this was before my time. So I don't know what instigated it, but he was never, it, it seems like he was never afraid of not being cool. I mean, on one side, he's hanging out with the guys in Flipper and he, on, the, on the other side, he's raving about this woman who <laughs> who inherited money from the Dixie Cup company and put out these, <laughs> and, and I listened to him, I bought a couple of her. They're yeah. horrible. They are horrible records. From North to South, East West. You've got a ticket for Once Upon a Tour. And now, let's move across the land to meet the swingin' singin' man, Mr. Phil Harris. The happy now sounds of Frank Sinatra, Jr. A gold record, a boy and his guitar, Oliver. The human carbon copy, the impressionable Rick Little. The man with the mobile face that stopped all traffic, Ben Blue. That huge hunk of happiness, Rosie Greer. And introducing Miss Dora Hall. Here we are, Hollywood. Dora Hall. I mean, I can, I can understand the Frank Sinatra Jr. thing. I bought a couple of his albums. I'm not a fan of that kind of music, but I know Greg is. He likes Frank Sinatra and that kind of thing. But Dora Hall, is just, oh, it's hard to listen to. Greg also had the ability to enjoy very, very sad, disastrous attempts at commercial success. So Dora Hall, for instance, wanted to be a vaudeville an actor, singer, and solo cups would put out these things. I'm sure you know all that, but, but he, could, he could somehow make it funny, whereas to me it seemed very tragic. I don't know if I thought that, that the failure that it embodied was contagious or just depressing.
1: things you're going to put on uh, in your car as a little work but you know they have this effect on you where there's something off about it and, and you don't know what to make of it and you, and you look at the people who made the record and you say well, you know what were they thinking when they made the record yeah and, and sometimes those kind of things end up being meaningful as a, whereas you know the latest band that is being you know like you know that's that's being praised as you know the critics darling it, it, sometimes it's sometimes it's just even if they are good it's just hard to have that kind of relationship or sense of connection to it
0: yeah it's 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 too slick or it's too obvious in the sense that oh the tunes are really good but they go exactly where you expect them to go the guy has a great voice but you know he's just kind of i i understand what you're saying um you know and that's part of i'm sure what attracted greg to things like song poems where you listen to people singing songs that they have no vested interest in at all they're just doing them as quickly as they can to get them done and then you have like one guy who's trying to be an artist about it that's that Rod Keith he's trying to do something you know better if he can for this that
1: you smile this warm secret
0: dial gives ring to the bowels of my I, I, I don't know. Maybe he, I, I thought Rod Keats were really interesting. Some of them, but just
1: yeah, I got way the, into
0: that stuff. Yeah, you, just,
1: you, you start to imagine the backstory of, you know, what kind of person's these lyrics and what, you know, their yeah. their their, their uh, hopes and dreams or, or delusions.
0: When undertakers refuse to dig, and when cocksure heroes massacre, innocent, curious.
1: stuff i took for granted when i was growing up as the way things are it turns out that no that was actually this pretty specific
0: slice of time that yeah uh, that that i i can't i am yeah i it's it's i mean it's, it's been good and bad for a music lover like me it's been good in the sense that i can find anything i want i can find anything i want to hear now i found a bean church cassette online recently it, and it, it was great. I'd never heard an uh an album by them before. But um it's bad in the sense that you can't make a living on music anymore. You just can't because everything is available everywhere. There's always gonna be someone posting your shit on soulseek or on their blog or whatever. Um it, so it did, I mean, uh I I hate to be I hate I really hate to say this, but Lars was right. He was right the whole time. <laughs> that this was gonna ruin the music industry because there's no way, and it's not just the record company's failure to to figure it out. It it was, it's just the technology. I mean, back then you would have to, it would take you all night to download an album. Now you can download an album in like 10 seconds. It's, if somebody posts it and they will, they always do, then thousands of people can download it and not pay for it. I can't I can't remember what year it was but there was one year that I went to a New Hamburger show and somebody from Comedy Central's record company was there and we went out for to, for dinner to eat and he said um the record industry is dying and I was like what do you mean he said it's because of downloading um that they're letting people go they're not able to pay bands you know this and that it's just and at the time, I still couldn't quite see it because CDs were still selling like pot cakes, you know, but he was right on the money and technology just got better and better. And I am, by God, if if I like an album, then I want to buy the album or I want to buy the CD. I, you know, I'm still in that old frame of mind, which drives my wife crazy. She's like, why do you still buy CDs when you can listen to the music online? And I'm like, I want it. I don't know. I I want to pay to... So, like, guided by voices, I love guided by voices. I'll buy everything they put out. I like supporting them. You know, they're one of the few bands that I really love that's still around. Um, but there are a lot of bands, new bands, who don't even they can't afford or don't or realize there's probably no point in making a CD. So they they just put their music digital, and I'm just not going to pay for digital music. I just don't. It's easy enough to find it free somewhere, and then if I like it, like the, I, I, you know, I like this band, most people don't, but Dig Low Abortions, their new album, I downloaded it, you know, for free, love it, I want to buy it, I have all their other stuff, but I couldn't find the CD anywhere, and I emailed the singer and said, hey, are you actually selling copies of this on CD, and he said, well, we made a few to sell at shows, it's going to be out on vinyl in a while, watch for that, and I was like, well, I hope so, because I got it for free, I want to pay for it, but, you know what I mean? Well, I'll just, let me see. I'll just say a couple of things then, but if I can help to finish. I can say this. I'll say, Blipper for Geniuses, I, by gum, I uh, I was late to the game, of course, but in like 92... I was in a record store in in uh, um, uh, uh, Georgia, Athens, Georgia. I was visiting my friend who went to Athens, uh, to UGA. And I found in a dollar bin, Flipper, generic album Flipper. And I'd heard of Flipper, but had spent no time with them. And I said, well, for a dollar, how can I turn that down? And it just blew my mind how amazingly good it was. I mean, the music, be depressing but the words were sort of uplifting in a way and it was just so i listened to it over and over again and of course i had to get the rest of their stuff and they were they they were doing something that nobody else was doing and you can say like oh but then they led into the Melvins and they they did but i don't even know that they did i just all i know is that they had bass lines that you could not get out of your head two different singers or vocalist, whatever you want to call them, with very compelling voices and approaches, a guitarist who just made a bunch of noise. I mean, it was often not related to the song at all, it seemed like, but he played the same thing every time he is. And then the drummer would keep the beat. And I don't know, it sounded so slack in one sense, so like sprawling and slack, but the songs were just great songs. Um, And then I'll say that Greg Turkington... Uh, I, I had, you know, at this point, the second Neil Hamburger album had come out, uh, uh, the Raw Hamburger, and I emailed Am- Amarillo Records to order some stuff, and he answered, and I said, "Are you Neil Hamburger?" And he responded, "Well, if I was, I wouldn't tell you." So that's how our friendship started. So, <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, I was, I finally got to meet, finally got to meet him when he came to town, uh, opening for Trans Am. Um, and you know, I went up and I met him, and I was talking to Greg, like, "Hey, Greg, how you doing?" And he said, "Well, I need to get ready for the show." And then he came on stage looking like Neil Hamburger, which I just thought was hilarious. I was not expecting it, you know. So, I don't know. Yeah. And 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 I'll say this, that Greg, Greg, you know, his 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 acts acts have always been confrontational, whether it's faxed head or uh, 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 zip code rapists. Knew a new hamburger. He's always very confrontational, which is why he got a glass to the head. Um, and but he is one of the nicest and most genuinely good human beings that I know. I mean, he has, he's a I mean, this isn't saying anything. He's a vegan. That's not really saying anything, but what is saying something is that he's just a really genuinely good, nice guy who cares about people. He he it pisses him off when people are ripping other people off or being, you know, he's, he attacks people that he feels like deserve to be attacked um, in his, in his acts. And Brandon Kearney, again, Brandon Kearney is his, he's a very, the, the word sardonic comes to mind, but I don't know if that's the right word. He can be very negative sounding, but like Greg, he is just a very good human being, you know, it, I don't know. I think both of them are more Christian than most Christians. They're just very good people. So I just, I, I get to say that.
1: Thank you again to Mark Prendel for doing this interview for more of his writing. As always, you can go to markprendel.com and for more on the book, go to who cares or headpress.com.